Thanks for tuning in to The Happiness Playbook, a podcast where we explore the why and how of happiness. I'm your host, Neil Hooper, and I just wanted to remind you that life is a team sport, so let's play together. I am so excited for our guest today, and this has been in the works for a while, and I can't tell you how excited I am to have Robin Towell on the show today. She is a powerhouse in so many ways and has so much value to share with us today. In July of 2019, Robin Towell was thrilled to be crowned Mrs. International 2019. This was the perfect opportunity to share her platform for suicide prevention internationally. Robin is the founder of Wolf Pact, a nonprofit organization that teaches emotional life skills to teens. She started this out of her passion for her suicide prevention and hopes to help teens live happier, healthier lives. She has written and produced Room Enough, a short film for her platform, and is also the founder of Hope on the Hill, a suicide prevention event for veterans. Robin is an ambassador for NAMI Utah, Safe Utah, and is a member of the State Suicide Coalition. Robin is a dancer, actor, director, and writer. Robin has a bachelor's degree in economics with a minor in dance from East Carolina University. While in college, she was an ECU cheerleader and pure gold dancer. Robin is the mother of six beautiful children, and she feels being a mother has been her greatest accomplishment. She has homeschooled her children for 16 years, and as a family together, they toured all 48 continental United States in an RV. Robin and her husband, Kevin, recently celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. In the few interactions I've had with Robin, I've been blown away by her strength, confidence, and big heart. Everything she does is geared toward making the world a better place, and you're going to feel that as we have these conversations today. Robin, welcome to the Happiness Playbook. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. There's so much depth to you and everything you're involved with, so I can't wait to dive in. I just want to know, and for our listeners, what sparked your passion for the topic, and what are you doing about it? Well, it sort of built up. I had several close friends and um, relatives experience suicide in their family. And so that was like on the forefront of my mind when our local high school had eight suicides in a two-year period. And I had two boys at that high school. Towards the end of that, one of my children became depressed and I knew that those kids would still be here had their parents known. And I knew that there was no way I could really know he was safe. And so I think I had some PTSD from worrying about him and also from the other people stories that were close to me. So I was really paranoid and very worried. And so we worked through that. And when I did, I felt One thing, I felt like if I had some of the tools from Wolfpack to help my son, that maybe I could help him. But at that point, he really wasn't open to that. So I wanted to create it for other parents so that they could give their kids something that they didn't get to the point we were at. Now, Wolfpack is your organization, 
and it's just doing so much good. Where did that name come from, Wolfpack, and what's the idea behind that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because that's part of the story behind it. So when my son was struggling, there was a story that meant a lot to him and gave him inspiration. It was the story of the two wolves, the legend of the two wolves. Native American chief tells his grandson, I have a war going on inside of me. Everyone does. Two wolves are fighting. One is greed and envy and self-loathing, and the other is kindness, resilience, and love. And the grandson asks his grandfather, which will win. And the grandfather's reply is the one that you feed. And so my son found some strength in that. And it meant a lot to him. And it meant a lot to me for him to have that. And whenever we were having multiple suicides, it went around, don't have the children dress up because they felt like it was the contagion. And it made me sad because I felt like these kids didn't get the recognition they needed when they were here and they deserved to be remembered and why why did i feel this was happening did i really feel that it was being glorified and what my inspiration or revelation that i felt came to me was that when we're exposed to suicide the curiosity of the human nature we're always saying well how did it happen what were they thinking if this happened to me how would people feel and so planting those questions plants a seed. And as we say things to ourselves, the talk that we give ourselves, it gives that seed nourishment for it to grow. And so we have to be really careful what wolf we're feeding, right? We have to make sure the things that we're saying to ourselves are feeding the right wolf. We have to be strong enough not to go down that road because negative thoughts travel our neural pathways faster than positive thoughts and they're strongly reinforced. So the more negative we are, the easier it is to be negative. I love the origin there of Wolfpack because that is such a powerful metaphor. And if we're not being intentional about what we're exposing ourselves, who we're surrounding ourselves with, the kind of media we consume, all of those things are, whether we like it or not, feeding the wolves, right? And so we have to be really intentional about that and and especially our thought patterns and all of that plays in. So I, I love that metaphor. Here on the Happiness Playbook, we're all about connection confidence and communication. Those are kind of the three C's of um, what we try to promote here. And I noticed a slogan for the Wolf Pact, your organization, is be real and connected, which I love. And I just wanted to dive into that a little deeper. In your opinion, how do we achieve that authenticity and connection? Well, I think it's really hard because I've always thought of myself as a person who's real, that you could Maybe sometimes too real for some people. (laughs) It's hard because when you feel like someone else is not real with you, it's very hard to be real with them, right? Because if they have their guard up, then you've got your guard up. And I think it is a tricky thing. But I think for me, I saw something recently and it said, you know, some people change because they reach a spiritual awakening and some people change because the pain because becomes so great they have no choice 
And for me, mm -hmm. I think it was the latter. It just, it just got to a point I was trying to fit in everyone's box that I thought they wanted me in. My parents, my husband, my friends, my church, my children. And I wanted to fit in the, this their boxes and they were all a different box. And the truth is, Neil, I didn't even know. I mean, I could think I knew what their box was, but do we really know what someone else's box they expect you to fit in is? There's no way that you can do that. It's exhausting. And it makes, for me, it made me feel like I was always looking for approval that I was never going to get. And it just got to a point I couldn't do it anymore. I just could not try to fit in everyone's box. And so the realization I came to is that God made me who I am. He made me like I am. And that's not an excuse for me to go out and engage in all my vices or engage in all of my weaknesses. But I need to love who I am, embrace who I am. And those who are supposed to be in my life are going to be here. So I just think really getting to know who you are and loving who you are and being okay with that is and the best way to be real. That it ties beautifully into one of the four principles of play theory, which is let go and play, which we're going to talk a little bit more about too. But sometimes in order to go outside of that comfort zone and to really grow and become and serve in the ways that we need to and to build our communities, we have to let go of what others are, are thinking and saying, those boxes, right, that you mentioned and they're, that they're putting us in. Because until we do that, we can't really play and really build and develop and grow and serve in the ways that we need to. And so that's really important and really sets you up to be real and connected, as you pointed out. And it's scary to do that. And especially if you've grown up in environments where the opinions of others are highly valued. That can be a really scary thing to, to tell yourself what I'm going to do what I feel is right, regardless of those opinions and those boxes that people are trying to place on me. But it's really important to do that. And I love what you shared there. Very now, good. Can I read? Can I ask you a question? So oh, please. How, what do you think if someone, if you're in a situation where you feel you cannot be real with someone like you can't connect like it, there, it's just not going to happen what do you do that's a great question because i think we find ourselves in those situations right and especially if you are wanting and you crave a deeper more authentic connection with somebody but they're not allowing you in i think that can be for a number of reasons the first thing i would say is if that person doesn't feel safe letting their guard down in order for that real connection to take place, sometimes it's really powerful to help show them that it is safe to do so. And an example I will reference was actually my wife and I, when we first got married, we had to learn how to come together in a lot of ways, but I'm a very direct person and I love feedback. And so that was really different from my wife who grew up in an environment where feedback was considered a negative thing. And it was hard for us to come forward and for her to even give me basic feedback. I would ask her, 
hey, I, I noticed there's a little tension back there. Did I do something wrong or help me understand how I can be better moving forward? To me, they were just little course corrections, but those were a really big deal for her. And so what I ended up doing was providing these little micro experiences where she could feel safe giving feedback as she saw that it was safe to to connect in that way and to give me feedback and, and to see my positive reaction to it. Then I think we built upon that. And now every week we have a feedback session on Sundays as part of a weekly planning session that we do. And it has just been such a foundation and rock for our marriage. But I think people who are afraid to become vulnerable in order for that connection to take place, it goes a long way to help help them have these micro experiences to feel safe doing that. Yeah, I think sometimes it's hard because you may be the one who doesn't feel safe. And it, it, it is a little bit scary sometimes when you don't feel safe. One thing that you mentioned is that you have a weekly session on Sundays. If you go on Wolfpack's website, we have a family council that you can download, which I loved which I think, and you can add your own things to it. Like you could add your weekly feedback. So like we'll, we'll do things on there for our family. We do things like cute things the kids said so we could remember them and we bind <laughs> it. We bind it. And then we have like a family history of the week. One of the questions is family achievements this week. And you're acknowledging, and even if it's a small achievement, like, got up for school and didn't complain or got your Eagle Scout award. It could be a huge range, but you're acknowledging the achievements that your family had during the weekend, talking about them. After I had my son go through his things and I had some issues as well with different people in my life and my not being able to deal well with things. And I was bitter and I was bitter for several years. And my last baby that I had I was in a hospital for 71 days in a different state where I ended up in emergency. And I was in bed, on bed rest, in a hospital in a different state for 71 days. And when I came out, I just was more bitter than ever. I just felt like maybe I had some depression from that, that manifest itself as just being bitter, but I was really bitter. And so I would go to church and I didn't want to be there. I didn't feel valued for some reason or another. And so I opened a journal. I started a journal on my phone and I started a gratitude journal. And so what I started doing was finding things I was grateful for in the things that I wasn't grateful for. <laughs> so <laughs> I was finding, I would write down why I was grateful for being in the hospital for 71 days and why I was grateful to be at church. And I just started journaling. It was very therapeutic and it was a good way to switch my negative thinking to positive thinking. A lot of things that I was unaware were good things. When you're looking for it, because like I said, the negativity travels so fast. And if you're already down a negative path, it's taken over your thought process. But to consciously try to be grateful. And it was really interesting. I loved my nurses while I was in the hospital. They were so, so good to me. And those relationships I will always cherish. And so I had that. And I had the fact that my life was actually saved. 
And even with my son, my son's depression and worrying about him at the time, I felt like there was nothing to be thankful for. I felt like I was forsaken. Like, where was God during this time? But as I look back, my son self-medicated with Reese's Cups, Kool-Aid, and Netflix. I mean, what a bigger blessing. It could have been drugs. So I had a lot of blessings during this time. Oh, and that paradigm shift that happens when you really get grounded in gratitude is huge. And like you said, you know, whereas before one could look at Reese's peanut butter cups and Netflix and be like, oh my gosh, what's he doing with his life? But then your perspective changes and you say, wow, what a great thing that it was Netflix and Reese's peanut butter cups and not like you said, something much more harmful. I want to shift gears just a little bit here because it would be a shame to have Mrs. International 2019 on a podcast and not ask a little bit about that. So just to to start off that part of the conversation, I'm just curious. That's a big deal. What does it take to become Mrs. International? I can go into a lot of different ways. So first I'm going to hit it on the head with your purpose. My purpose Mm -hmm. was strong with what's going on in the world today. I knew it was coming. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but about four years ago, I felt a force of people gathering for mental health and suicide prevention like never before. And I knew God was gathering people to do a work, people who he had prepared, people who had struggled and knew what it was about, people who were service oriented and had a lot of empathy and emotional connection was important. And I could see very like-minded people gathering to do the same work. There was a miss also named the year that I was and her um, platform was also suicide prevention. I think your message is huge. Number one, number two, I think for the girls who are wanting a national title or any title, pageantry sometimes gets a bad deal, but the truth is it basically promotes women to do good things in their community, to have a platform to serve. And if you're there to look good for picture ops and things like that, you're going to get what you went into it for. But if you really want to win, find your purpose from God and fulfill that purpose with all of your heart and with all of your energy to serve. And it shows when you put that into it, when you go into your interview, you're not, you're not trying to sell them on you. You're telling them from your heart what means so much to you and why you want to do this because you have a message that you want so many people to share. And when you go in an interview powered by that, your scores are going to be great. And so that would be my foresight on it. But my personal, hitting lastly on my personal experience, I just got to a place where I couldn't fit in everyone's box anymore. And I realized God had created me. And I had to be happy with myself, comfortable with myself, and to come from a place of love always. And it's hard. I still fall many times. And every time I do, I'm like, ugh. I'm supposed to be coming from a place of love because I'm pretty sure that was one of the key things that helped me achieve this is that when I went in it, I was full of love for everyone, including myself. 
just like you alluded to, happiness is a skill. Love is a skill as well. And we're not going to be perfect at it. But you mentioned a key ingredient here of happiness and love, and that's looking outward, right? You were focused on building your community and helping those who are in a very dark place and really shining a spotlight on that to serve that group. And I know when we look outward, others do feel that and they can't help but want to to get on board and promote and support that. So that is a very cool insight and what an awesome experience that must have been as a contestant for Mrs. Utah and then Mrs. International. I'm sure you experienced a great deal of pressure and I'm just curious, what did you do to be present and keep that anxiety under control in those moments where you had to go up in front of all these people and promote your message? Well, I think one of the things was I stopped trying to fit in people's boxes and stopped caring what people thought about me. And I went up and just authentic. And I think that my anxiety was really leveled before I went into it because I was to the point, I just wanted to be authentic. I just wanted to be me. I didn't care if people were like, oh, what is she doing? Why is she doing right. that? Or I don't approve of this or I don't approve of that. I didn't care what anyone thought. What I cared about is how I felt, if I felt like I was doing the right thing, if I felt like I was doing God's will, and if I felt like my relationship was building with God. I know I'm not perfect and I can't always be what I know God probably wants me to be or, but that is a progress. It's not one thing for me to get there. And so I gave myself grace and knew that God loves me no matter what. And as I gave myself grace, it allowed me to have a relationship with him, a good, healthy relationship with him without feeling judged or it just helped me know he loves me and he knows I'm on a path and I'm trying and I just stopped really caring what other people thought. So I think that took away a lot of the anxiety. I also feel like Wolfpack actually prepared me to be Mrs. International. The skills within Wolfpack, I hired a licensed clinical social worker specializing in teens and told her what I wanted in this program and helped her write it because of what I felt like my son needed and working those skills helped me. So when I was on stage, just for an example, one of the things I'm on stage and my biggest fear, like I did not know going into Mrs. International that I had to answer an on stage question that was a current event. And I don't like that. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like not knowing what my question's going to be when it's not a personal question, when it's something that has to have an educated view and you can't prepare for it. And wow. we've all seen those girls go viral. And so right. I had a, a coach that helped me with it. And I just would say, oh, Susie, don't let me go viral, please. I can't go viral. <laughs> I was really freaked out about it. And so when I made top 15, I had to answer this question. You didn't have to answer it unless you made top 15. And there were hard questions about things like how you feel about Brexit or specific questions about Brexit or about fracking. And if you don't know that word, like if you're not familiar with Brexit or fracking, how would you even answer that? 
except right. for, hey, I don't know. I've never heard of that before, which was really what I was going to do because the truth is I didn't want to get up there and be asked something and look like a fool. You know what I mean? Right. So, so I'm waiting and all the girls are answering their questions and I'm like trying to remember what they're answering and their questions were hard. And I was like, this is like making it worse. And I'm like, Robin, this is not helping you. So I go <laughs> around and behind the um, curtain, I go behind the curtain to like say a prayer, get some peace. And I look in the mirror and when my kids were little, when they would play football, I would say, guys, you got to be the go-to guy. You know what the go-to guy is? The go-to guy is the guy they know they can always count on. You have to get to that point where you are self-confident enough, you've practiced enough that whenever they throw you that ball, you're not like, oh, I hope I catch it. You are like, I'm going to catch this ball. It's coming to me. It's my ball. You got to be the go-to guy. And that story came to my mind. And I looked in the mirror at myself and I said, you are are the go-to guy. You are not going to drop this ball. And so <laughs> I turned around and walked on the stage and my answer to the question actually came from another question I had prepared for. So I could use that information in the question I was asked. That was grit, which is one of Wolfpack's chapters. And it was also how to persevere. I used the grit and the positive affirmation from Wolfpack and was able to go on stage and answer that question. So I think Wolfpack definitely was a, a big help for me being ready. Wow. What a story. I'm putting myself in that scenario and I'm just freaking out. Don't go viral. Don't go viral. What a great uh, example of accept and build and really tapping into information you'd already prepared and then applying it to that specific question and preparation is an interesting thing. For a season of life, I would do stage improv and people would always say, oh man, how do you come up with so many things on the spot? How do you do that? And I would always tell them preparation is the price you pay for that inspiration or agility in the moment. You can't draw water from an empty well. As you prepare, that helps you bring more to the table and gives you more to build with in any situation, just like you shared. Thank you for those stories. And I did notice in the curriculum as I read through that for Wolfpack, that grit is is one of the chapters. And I think grit is something that we've all been working on this year. During 2020, we've all had to develop if we didn't have it or uh, expand our grit. I'm just curious if you have any additional thoughts surrounding grit and how that's important for these times we're in. Yeah, I think it all fits together. The positive affirmation with grit is a great um, team. It's like a marriage. And I've just decided myself, I'm going to have a good life. I'm going to embrace whatever I go through and love it and enjoy it. Have you ever read The Hiding Place? I haven't. That's a wonderful book. It's probably one of my most favorite and the most inspiring books by Corrie Ten Boone. And she was in a concentration camp. And just her sister said, we have to be grateful for everything. And she's like, I cannot be grateful for the fleas. And the sister said, yes, you have to be grateful for everything. And after her sister died, they went out and told the guards, they're like, you need 
to come in and get this woman. Well, just a little hindsight first. During it, they were smuggled a Bible. And every night they would read from the Bible and the women would sit around to listen and it would give them strength. And so when this woman died, they go out and they tell the guards, you have to come in and get this woman. She died. And the guard said, no way am I going in that flea infested place. So then they knew that they were grateful for the fleas because the only reason they were able to read their Bible was because the guards wouldn't go in because of the fleas. I think that personally is the key to grit. I get one shot here on this earth and the heck with it. Whether it's all doom and gloom, well, I'm going to embrace it and just enjoy what is here. Enjoy the people around me. Enjoy everything I do, every food I taste, every conversation I have. Just try to embrace it. And it's so much easier to do that when you are living in the moment and being present instead of forecasting, like you said, the doom and gloom and giving into that anxiety about the future or regret from the past. So that's a, a huge part of that as well with grit is being present and just keeping your head in the game and looking for the good in each moment as it comes. One thing that I do too for mindfulness is one of the topics in Wolfpack. And I talk to the kids and I tell them, if you're looking to the past you can be depressed. You can think, oh, I wish my friends still lived here. I wish my grandparents were still alive. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had made better choices. If you're looking at the past, it can make you depressed. If you're looking at the future, saying, oh, I hope I get in. I hope I get a husband. I hope I get a boyfriend. If you're always looking to the future, what if I don't make enough money? You're going to have anxiety. But the way you can find peace is living in the present. And then I share with them one way you can do that is by using your senses. To ground yourself in the present, you use your sight, see what you see around you, really connect with your eyes, your smell, what do you smell? Like if you're having a, a hard time being grounded, bake something, light a candle, use aromatherapy or oils, touch, hugs. And I found out that I was actually doing this, like in the mornings I would wake up anxious every morning because I had so much to do and my little girls would always come and get in bed with me sometime between two and eight in the morning so I'd wake up and have them next to me and I'd look at their pretty faces and hug them and hold them and it would calm me and so I was actually doing that technique not knowing that I was doing it but that using your senses can help ground you in the present that's worthy of the pro tip for the episode. That is so good. Very practical application. Speaking of children, how does let go and play specifically help you be a better parent? Well, I'm not sure my kids would say I was very good at that growing up, hence the anxiety and the, the breakthrough I had. Letting go and playing. I think I was more of the control and fear type mom. And that's where some of our downfalls came. That's what we needed to grow from. And I think just letting go of control and fear is huge in being able to play. That is so hard. I'm speaking as a parent as well, because that's like your legacy, right? I think of it that way as a father that... Your children, it's like one of the most important things I will ever do is, is be the father. And you so badly want to control the outcome of that experience, but it does lead to 
problems because if that fear and control are in place, it can be detrimental for the progress, growth, and connection of your children. And I'm at the earlier stages, parenthood. I have a four-year-old, two-year-old, and a nine-month-old. But I've already seen that factor into my parenting. So I'm glad that you brought that up. It wasn't because I didn't love them. It was because I loved them so much. I thought I could control the outcome by everything I did, by worrying. I thought worrying would control the outcome. And I got a book about the time I was really starting to become a little more awake by all of it. Someone gave me a baby book with one of my babies. I think it was my fourth child. And it said, I hope you turn out to be as beautiful as you were when God thought you up. Our job is to give them the security, the love, the happiness, the self-esteem to be able to reach what God has in store for them. And I think when we are so worried about our kids, what we're saying to them is we don't believe in you. And that does not build self-esteem, self-confidence. When we're so worried, it's us saying to them, we don't have confidence in you. Wow. And I think just realizing that our job is to nurture them, not to decide what their outcome is going to be, but is to nurture them in the most healthy way possible that they can become what God has intended them to be. Wow. <laughs> that was so good. We could have a whole episode about just what you shared. And I know there are parents listening to this right now that are grateful you shared that. I know I am. I had to learn the hard way. So um, my kids were practice kids. You can just <laughs> look at <laughs> What is it? Smart people learn from their mistakes. Smarter people learn from others, right? Yeah. So no, that's I'm, we're all in that world together and parents can relate to the struggle and the failure and hopefully repairing that happens. But thank you for sharing that. What advice do you have for those who know someone that is struggling with self-worth, mental health, or who have even contemplated suicide? Well, like you said, connection is key. One of the biggest things that we've found um, that has been found with suicide is that they don't feel connection. A lot of times they have a hard time feeling connection, but it doesn't mean they don't need it. And so connection is key. Holding space for someone, letting them, giving them a place they can talk and get out what their feelings are that's hurting them, I think is key. Another thing that happened with my son is I was scared to death to even think or say the word suicide. And what has been found is a lot of people don't want to ask it. They don't want to put the thought there. But if you are worried enough that you don't want to put the thought there, it's probably already there. So it's important that we just, that you just come out. And so some of the classes that I've taken for training to be able to help people is one is safe talk and the other QPR, question, persuade, and refer. I am trained as a facilitator for QPR, question, persuade, and refer. And in those, you are encouraged to come right out and ask, are you contemplating suicide? Have you been thinking of suicide? Because it's not something that they need to keep silent 
and keep hidden. It's something that if they need to get it out, it's important so you can persuade them to get help and then refer them how to get help. So it's just, I I would say to things like to my son, you're not thinking about suicide, are you? Well, what do you think his answer would be if I say that? No, (laughs) I'm not. I'm going to answer it the way you want me to answer it. But I think it's very important to have open dialogue and to be able to know where a person's at. And if they are at that point, you can ask them, have you been thinking of ways? And so like if they are suicidal and they have a gun, you would want to say, would you let me keep your gun until you're feeling better? I'd like to hold your gun for you until you're feeling more like yourself and then refer them to get some help. So I think open dialogue, communication, connection, holding space, which means just listening and letting them tell you instead of trying to fix it. But just listening is huge. Wow. And so just to be really clear, probably the less helpful way is you're not thinking of suicide, are you? And the more helpful way What would that more helpful way be to ask the question, just to be really clear? Right. Well, the thing, when I took the class, you had to role play. And I couldn't even say it in the role play to someone who (laughs) really wasn't struggling. It's a really hard thing to say. Are you suicidal? Have you thought about suicide? And the second class I took, I think it was Safe Talk is the name of it. They gave a, a way to approach it I thought was comfortable by saying sometimes when people go through divorce, they think about suicide. Do you ever think about that? Or sometimes when people feel Mm. like they have no friends, they feel suicidal. Do you ever feel that way? I thought that was an easier way to approach it than just to come out and say, are you thinking about suicide? It's right. Sometimes when people go through what you're going through, I've listened to what you've had to say. It seemed to me to be a little bit easier way to approach it than to just sort of accuse someone or make an accusation. It's just saying sometimes other people, when they feel this way, I thought that was a really nice way to approach it. That's awesome because you can pretty much just insert whatever struggle they're going through in a hypothetical almost, and that's maybe a less abrasive way, but still direct of getting to the bottom of it. And I think that can be helpful depending on the relationship you have with the individual too. If you're really close, maybe that more direct out in the open approach of saying, are you suicidal or are you having suicidal thoughts is appropriate. But maybe somebody you don't have that strong of a relationship with, that approach you just mentioned is really effective. Right. It also makes them not feel alone or like something's wrong with them. Lots of other people, when they go through what you're going through, feel this way. Right. It makes them feel understood and not isolated like something's wrong with them. That is so huge. And I'm so grateful that you are addressing that because I think the stigma around suicide for so long has been, don't go there, don't nourish that thought because it's going to get worse when in reality, it's already there if you're concerned about it, most likely. And so that point, the connection, as you said, is important and it's hard to address it unless that is just kind of taken head on. And so I love that you're addressing that. So what advice 
do you have for the individuals themselves now who are struggling with these dark thoughts who may have contemplated suicide themselves? Look for your toolbox. There are tools that are there to help you. And there are things that you can do to turn your life around. A lot of those are mentioned in Wolf Pact, but like the mindfulness, being present, connecting, knowing what your core values are is also part of it. I think core values are huge because if you know your core values, then that can help where you want to go in your life. And for someone who's dealing with anxiety, that could help make better choices. Because a lot of times when we are depressed, it's because we're not aligned with where we want to be going or what we know is right. So it can cause depression and lead you. So knowing what your core values are, narrowing those down to like five and then making sure that you're making your choices along your core values. You know, I think we have to be careful that we don't lose sight of who we are and what is ingrained in us. So a lot of times I think as people are becoming healthy, I'm just going to give a scenario. So say I told you I went to church and I didn't feel valued and I didn't feel happy there. And I felt judged and I felt like I didn't measure up. And when I was going through my growth process, my healing process, my emotional journey of emotional growth, I was very careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what I mean by that is I could have blamed all my problems on my church. I could have said it's an unhealthy place. They're unhealthy people. I don't feel the spirit when I'm there. I don't feel good. But what I knew was is my problems were causing me to not be able to deal with the other circumstances around me that were unhealthy. So if I could get healthy, I could be okay there, right? Because other people's unhealthiness or things that I had misconstrued, like having to fit in someone's box or not being valued, were my issues. They weren't because of my religion. And I think it's super important as we're getting healthy to know what our core values are. And for me, my faith, my relationship with God, my spirituality was one of my core values that I did not want to lose as I was getting emotionally healthy and dealing with the things that I had to deal with, my own weaknesses, my own shortcomings, my own need for growth. I think a lot of times people will find like maybe a parent or a religion or something that triggers them, right? And they're just going to throw it out. But those things, your parent, your religion, those are ingrained in you. And if you really, when you throw those out, you can always feel like part of you is missing. So I think it's just really important to know what your core values are and to realize that Maybe I need to get healthier to have a healthy relationship with this parent. Maybe I need to have boundaries. I need to have communication. But to really just shove it out of your life, I think a lot of times is more harmful than helpful. That is a very important concept that doesn't get a lot of attention. And in our quest to improve, sometimes we do sacrifice 
our communities, relationships, and things that are helpful and key might, as you said, be core values. And so I love that you brought that up because when we are in a dark place, we are seeing life through cheap sunglasses and it's tainting our perspective. But as we perceive more accurately and we get healthier, that often is what the issue was. And so I love that you brought that up. Well, and when you're dealing, when you learn how to deal with unhealthy situations, like there may be unhealthy situations, right? In relationships, but when you're healthy and you learn how to deal with that, you can still have that relationship. You can just not participate in the unhealthy part of it. Build upon the good and let go of the not helpful parts of it. Thank you for bringing that up. Robin, this has been jam-packed with so much goodness, and I can't tell you how grateful we are that you came on to share these amazing concepts and principles with us and to share your light. We need as much light as we can get, and we can just feel that through what you're sharing, through your message. Everything that you shared today is helping shine a light in our lives, and I cannot thank you enough for that. And we have just one last question that we ask all of our guests on the Happiness Playbook. And that is, what is your pro tip for applying any of the principles we discussed today for our listeners? It's all about love. If you come from a place of love and whatever you're doing, no matter where you're at, no matter where you are in your journey, if you're just starting to work on your emotional health or you feel like you've learned a lot of tools, wherever you are, if you can come from a place of love, you cannot go wrong. That is so good. We had several pro tips from you throughout the episode of very practical ways to be happy and to connect. And so we are so grateful for that. Robin, you are amazing. Thank you for having me. I have learned a lot from your partner, Laurie. She's been one of my greatest mentors, and I just have so much admiration for her. While we were talking today, one of the thoughts that came up was a book she had recommended by the author's last name's Rasband, and it's called The Myth of Self-Esteem. And it's basically what play theory is, looking outward instead of inward. I love that. If you want to connect with Robin, support her, become part of the Wolf Pact, we will have all of her contact information and website so that you can send her an email or a note or follow her on social media as well. So make sure you check that out. Oh man, what an awesome episode. If you know somebody who is going through a hard time, reach out to them, connect, use some of the tools and tips from this episode. Remember that happiness is a skill and life is a team sport. Catch you next week.